following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are wrong, Ron Tomatoes, and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 1997's Event Horizon, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinlan, Jolie Richardson, Richard T. Jones, Jack Noseworthy, Jason Isaac, and Sean Pertwee. Event Horizon is a 1997 science fiction horror film. It currently holds a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? In the year 2047, a group of astronauts are sent to investigate and salvage the long-lost starship Event Horizon. The ship disappeared mysteriously seven years before on its maiden voyage, and with its return comes even more mystery as the crew of the Lewis and Clark discover the real truth behind its disappearance and something even more terrifying. Okay, you may have noticed where one man down. Kevin had to work during this holiest of high holidays. I, th- I think we can honestly say that he really is wallowing in his own chaotic insecure, insecure delusions right now. Well, we're we're moving, we're grooving. We're dancing. Yeah, it's a day <laughs> off. <laughs> Joel's smiling, his teeth. They're like, like the chiclets. They're just like chiclets. Alright, so Event Horizon, what's your history with this? I saw this movie when it first came out and I think I saw it on TV maybe like eight years ago. Five out of five, right? Yeah, yeah perfect. <laughs> they really used all of the uh, uh, acting merit in this movie, you know, all, all, all the star power to its fullest extent. Yeah, what a phenomenal movie. Okay, yeah, so I saw this movie way back when. I didn't see it in the theater. I must have saw it on VHS or something, but I do remember seeing it back then, and I didn't really care for it. I didn't think it was a good movie at the time, but this movie has gone on to have a huge cult following. Oh, so do you agree? Absolutely, Mike. I, I saw this movie with my cousin, and he loved this movie, but he, he really liked the movie more for the idea of it, which is, I think that's fair. I think it says a lot that I I didn't like this movie back then because this is the kind of movie that I would have eaten up back in 98 or 97 or whatever. I mean, I saw Lost in Space, so I'd see anything that took place in outer space. So the, the fact that I didn't like this, I think, says a lot. All right, so let's get into this thing. Let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, by the way, I think it's important we should note, this is the triumphant return of Sam Neill. No, 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 of our favorite director, Paul W.S. Anderson. Yeah, he's my favorite director. Yeah. (laughs) Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil. He's unstoppable, unbeatable. Tour de force. Okay, okay. uh, Is is he in our tour like no other? Yeah. Yeah, he's walking hand in hand with Steven Somers through the meadow. <laughs> Are you surprised that they didn't open this movie with a cold open? <laughs> a flashback. Yeah. Okay, next up, Lawrence Fishburne. He... I thought he was practicing for his role as Morpheus. Yeah, you, you could see a lot of it uh, in the way that he commanded, I guess, his, his crew. He was acting like Morpheus, for sure. And yeah, he... He was competent. He was extremely competent. He was, yeah. He did a great job, I thought, giving them material. Yeah, this guy's a he's a go-to guy. You know, he can, can act. The thing is, I haven't really seen him act very well in a role that deviates very far from him being like a commanding officer. Have- you gotta play to your strengths, right? Michael Sarah style? I- Just keep doing the same thing over and over again, right? Yeah, well then don't call yourself like a uh, method a- actor. A versatile. Versatile, like... <laughs> He's like a Swiss army knife, you know? He can do it all. I- I- like what? Michael Sarah. Yeah, just just like Michael Sarah. He didn't really have too many emotional lines, I don't think. You didn't really learn about the characters in this movie. Like, I didn't know anything about these people. I just... They were stuff, cardboard cutouts. Stuff happened to them. Yeah, they were no, they were nobodies. They, 
could have been anybody, right? Yeah. So what doesn't make sense to me is why did he cast Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne, two very competent actors, in a movie that has no dialogue, no backstory. You don't understand who these people are, and the interaction with them is mediocre and, and meaningless. And, and it's completely irrelevant. And then my next question is why did Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne sign on to this? It's just is it just a paycheck? Of course. Yeah, make that money. Here's my question for you. If let's say we took these characters, right, and we use a random number generator to assign the roles to them, it would have been the same movie, right? Re- it w- nothing would have changed. Lawrence Fishburne became the mother character, <laughs> Sam Neill. Yeah, yeah, no, like nothing, it, it wouldn't have changed. I, I think the one of the interesting things about this movie is the only thing I can get out of Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne in their roles is I can point at the screen and go, hey, that's Lawrence Fishburne. I know him from blah, blah, blah. Hey, that's Sam Neill. TV's Merlin. The great is the greatest role ever. That's about it, right? So next up, the triumphant return of Sam Neill. Devotees may remember his star-stunning role from Bicentennial Man. But what we all remember him here at, yeah, it's that bad, World Headquarters, (laughs) is TV's phenomenal miniseries where he played Merlin, where it followed him from just a a wee lad magician all the way up to the wizard extraordinaire. Yeah, I have a giant Merlin wall scroll (laughs) of big picture of Sam Neill. (laughs) Constant reminder. (laughs) How do you think he did? He was good. I mean, he's a competent actor. He didn't have a lot to work with, but uh, for what it's worth, he came off as this stereotypical cookie cutter doctor character that are in all of these (laughs) sci-fi deep space movies. It's like... Cookie cutter. It is. It's it's formulaic. He fulfilled two roles. He was the doctor guy slash company man guy. Right. Right? He was Paul Reiser from Aliens. Exactly. That's that's who he was. Like, I guess Aliens started this where they would kind of have like a specific role for each character and they would introduce themselves in the beginning and say, I'm the technician. I'm I'm the the doctor. doctor. I'm the this. (laughs) Okay, well, now that we all know each other, this is what's happening. The aliens took over the ship and we got to stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I clean the space toilets. I have a real important (laughs) job. Okay, next up, Kathleen Quinlan. She was the mom. I don't really have anything to say about her. Yeah, she was fine. She was fine. All right, next up, here's somebody that I can actually talk about. Jolie Richardson. She was the blonde-haired woman with the British accent. Your your eyes twinkled when you saw her. They twinkled for a different reason than what you think. They weren't as hungry as yours, I don't think. Uh, no, no, no. What? Who's are? <laughs> you, you you said that you knew her from like a bunch of different roles, though. Well, I know her from one thing specifically. She was on Nip Tuck as uh, the wife character. She's a pretty big deal. And the thing about her is she can act because in real life, she has an Australian accent. In this movie, she had a British accent. And on Nip Tuck, she had an American accent. And she can disguise her real accent pretty well because I had no clue. Watching Nip Tuck, I had no clue that she was Australian. Well, she can't disguise it as well as Daniel Day-Lewis can disguise his accent. Let's call spade a spade here. Perhaps that's an act. Oh, you, you think that's also an act? No one, has, no, I don't, no one knows who he actually is. He doesn't even know he anymore. Know. <laughs> I thought that she was very competent. I don't think they gave her much to work with. And I, again, I'm going to reiterate that for every character in this movie. There was only one... Do you even want to talk about the other people? Yeah, because there was one character that I thought was, was actually poor in their acting. Perhaps you can propose which person portrayed such a piss poor performance. <laughs> I think that he was... Uh, <laughs> the, the character who played Justin. <laughs> he was like the prototypical young guy. Yeah, he was, I guess he the was young the, buck. He was the young buck on crew. He looked like he was like 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> and he had a rough time on this ship. <laughs> 
getting he was he was like getting sucked into hell and then he gets stuck in the airlock space he, he explodes I think and, then they, and, and and the worst part of it is out of almost everybody dies on this ship okay there's three survivors he's one of them and he's stuck in stasis I don't know I I'd almost want to just die a perplexingly problematic performance eh what's wrong with it I didn't think that he properly portrayed the <laughs> perfect preteen personage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was pretty poor, right? <laughs> I agree. You're like, yeah, he, he, he wasn't very good, I think, is what we're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess that's it, right? There's nobody else worth talking about? No, I don't think so. All right, let's move on to the history of Event Horizon. To get back into work after a family tragedy, Philip Eisner pitched the idea for Event Horizon to Paramount Pictures. He had no plot. He just pitched it as The Shining in Space, which gained a positive reception from the executives. After releasing the highly successful Mortal Kombat in 1995, Anderson was offered the movie. The release date had already been set and Anderson agreed to do the film, despite that the deadline meant that the post-production period was severely reduced. (laughs) So wait, Joel, are you trying to say that the post-production period was pruned to a pitiful, pithy pace? Precisely. (laughs) On the commentary, Anderson cited this as the main cause for the many troubles faced during production, and especially when Anderson was to make decisions on the final cut. Anderson said that his initial cut of the film before the visual effects had been completed ran about 130 minutes in length. The film was even more graphic in this incarnation, and both test audiences and the studio were unnerved by the gore. Paramount ordered Anderson to cut the film by 30 minutes and delete some of the violence, a decision that he regrets. Some of the lost scenes were offered as special features on the 2006 DVD, but were taken from poor quality videotape, the only format in which the scenes now exist. The studio had little interest in keeping unused footage, and the film has since been lost. The rotation shot of the space station over Earth took nearly a third of the film's $16 million budget. That is the (laughs) biggest waste of money I've ever heard of. So this movie made how much worldwide? $16 million budget. A third spent on one shot. I don't know. Um, $10 million? Not a bad guess. $26 million worldwide. How do you feel about that? I feel less than nothing about that. Okay, Event Horizon. So this movie starts off with my favorite way to start a movie with text. Yeah, great. Text. Make me read it instead of showing me what's going on. This movie opens up like the intro to Super Metroid. <laughs> the text. Yeah, it's it's that really annoying sound. Ugh, it's obnoxious. The only thing worth talking about the backstory of the world of Event Horizon is that supposedly in the year 2015, three years from now, we're going to have a permanent colony on the moon. I'm really excited for this. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I guess, is keeping this under wraps, but I I think he's made mention of it. Yeah, there's gonna be people living on the moon in three years. Alright, so this movie doesn't start off with a flashback, but it does start off in an equally stupid way with a dream or a hallucination or something. Sam Neill is having a dream about the event horizon. And the dream looks like it should be in a Tool music video. He's floating in front of, yeah, I guess, a, a window that's supposed to be on the event horizon. And I guess, like, it shows his face and it's all cut up. And then yeah, he, he wakes up. You can see up. the silhouette of his balls dangling in midair. I missed that. Thing. I stood up and cheered. I applauded. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, I mean, if I wasn't going to see it, who will? Right, right, right. But 
But there is one thing about this scene that is worth talking about. There are a lot of tools and various knickknacks and curios floating in the air because of the zero gravity. Martin, you particularly love the special effects here, how they managed to accomplish the CG. I mean, in Apollo 13, they actually threw people in a ship and had it going up and down and parabolic movements to simulate the CG. In this movie, they took a slightly different tack to get things to float in midair. I remember there was a wrench that looked particularly piss poor. I remember the hand stapler and the way the metal <laughs> looked like it was out of like a Capri Sun commercial. It was on. Whoa. It really, it, re- it did though, right? I mean, if anybody got my reference, you know what this looks like. Really bad effects. You know what the- But then again, this is coming from- 1997. Mortal Kombat guy. You remember those effects? Yeah, but still, this is 1997. It's only two years later. I know, but I'm like, I'm willing to kind of let some of this slide. So am I, because I know that a year later, Lost in Space would come out and the special effects in that were worse than Right, this. right, right. What did you think about the practical effects though? Like the, the models for the ship, the suits? For the most part, they look pretty good. I like the fact that they were real. That they, they were actually there like this. I thought the sets looked good. Like when they were on their ship, not right. the Event Horizon, when they were on their own ship, like sitting around and talking and stuff. I thought that looked pretty good. Right. Like it, it seemed like a real spaceship or at least what I've been led to believe what a real spaceship looks like from all the movies. I guess what I'm trying to say, it looks like it's in the mold of the aliens style spaceships. Yeah, it's this kind of a uh, rundown grunge. Yeah, rusty, everything's dirty. Grunge space kind of thing. This There's a pretty important scene right off the bat after this stupid fly, the stupid dream sequence. Sam Neill is feeling a little stubbly on his chin and he's got to yeah, yeah, take care he, of some facial hair. Joel, you were, you were happy to see that he was using a straight razor because in it, space, yeah. that would be the most, I guess, effective means. Of yeah, shape. Martin balked at the use of a straight razor in the future, but I thought it made sense that in the year 2047, he'd be using a straight razor because you'd only need just the one razor. You wouldn't have to keep swapping out blades or whatever. Yeah, but I feel like if if our technology has allowed us to get to like a moon base in 2015, I think in 2047 at that rate, we would just have like some type of machine that instantaneously dissolved your hair. Yeah, why don't we have that now? Why don't we just have like a chemical like Nair that you just put on your face and you don't have to shave anymore, right? Some things, they just stick around a really long time, right? I suppose so. I mean, I can tell you this. I don't don't enjoy shaving. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's about this time we get to learn what the hell the plot of this movie is. So the Event Horizon was a spaceship that was built to travel faster than light. And it did this by generating a black hole to create a wormhole, which it would just jump into and then pop out in the center of the universe. Well, it's not traveling at all, really. Yeah, it's kind of bending space around. Yeah, it it's not it's, it's not moving. It's not breaking relativity or anything. Yeah. So what ended up happening was on its maiden voyage, they turned on the engine, it disappeared, and poof, it was gone forever. Until seven years later... When it was gone it, forever for seven years. Exactly. <laughs> and then it popped out again in seven, seven years later, and now Sam Neill, who's the guy who built the ship initially, he's going to mount the rescue mission to see if they can salvage the crew and salvage the ship. That's the essential plot of this movie. And essentially, that's the only thing I remembered about this movie. What's really odd is that this is like a super secret government black ops, I guess, mission. Yeah, the space NSA is working on it. From what right. I, I thought I heard that. Yeah, he said the NSA, this is like a black ops project. And so that's leading me to believe that America still exists. Oh no, there's still countries because everybody on the ship had their country's flags on their... Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne 
Armstrong was German. One guy was Australian, the other guy was American, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. So what, what was odd was that all these different people from different countries are going on a salvage mission for the National Security Association? Yeah, what were they? Were they mercenaries? I'm, I see, like, I'm trying, I, I would imagine that they're just mercenaries. I would imagine that something like this is so specific a thing that to get anybody with experience in it is probably hard. So there's probably, like, a team, and they just go in and do it. Alright, so they have to go and salvage the ship, and we get the typical cookie-cutter explanation about who everybody is, and they show us Sam Neill's got a recording of the last, of the Event Horizon's last transmission. I guess they believe it's a distress call, but I don't know how they could figure that out, because there's, it sounds like there's noise. Go- sounds like there's goats being <laughs> slaughtered. Ghosts are screaming. Ghosts are screaming. There's, like, chains and shackles from the Brothers Marley, like, mm. hitting the floor real hard. Yeah, it sounds like a place that we want to go to. <laughs> it literally, if, if someone was to record all the suffering and pain that's going on in hell, if, like, hell's real, then that's probably what it would sound like. It would sound like this recording, and they're like, oh, great, let's, let's you know, let's... Let's go there. Let's go. So, th- I mean, this is this is ill-fated to begin with, and the, <laughs> the, audi- the audience knows, but yeah, no one else in the crew in. could figure that out. Like, I, it sounded, it literally sounded like hell. This, this should be like, uh, hey, Lawrence, this might not be a good idea to go to this, this place where people are getting slaughtered, but uh, all right. It sounds like hell. I don't know if I want to go. I'm going to opt out. So they run the recording through a couple of filters, and they were able to pick out something out of the noise, and yet again, Latin. That one listener mail we got about why is it always Latin with these hell movies. Well, yeah, and, and the Latin was save me. Yeah. I'm not going to go rescue somebody who's speaking Latin with hell noises. Okay? <laughs> I'm just not going. Yeah, put two and two together there. No. It's almost like these people don't watch any movies. What did you think of the Event Horizon, the design of the ship? It, it looked like it came straight out of Aliens. Yes. It looked extremely phallic to me, I thought. Yeah, but everything does to you. I, I just can't help it. It's my gift and my curse. That's yeah, more your gift. <laughs> It reminds me of the ship in a very obscure TV show called Lex. Did you ever see that? No. Yeah, they said that in the behind-the-scenes stuff that they just wanted to make the Event Horizon look like a gothic cathedral, I guess both inside and out. You had a pretty good insight. If you look at the ship from top down, it looks like the typical cathedral plans that you'd see like in a textbook. Yeah, if, 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 if anybody's taken... Art History yeah, 1! Yeah, Art, art History, history two, 2! Mid, uh, Renaissance! Uh, Renaissance Art History! Gardeners! Art Through the Ages! Yeah! Yeah, I'm, uh. Uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> me and Joel have taken a lot of our history courses because we had to, to graduate. Uh, yeah, I saw a flying ship, buttress on yeah, the horizon. Ugh. Yeah, I saw the two chapels protruding well, off of each end that? of the event horizon so that it was shaped like a cross. And then there was, it was almost like the head of the ship was the antechamber for the main hallway to the cathedral. But hopefully. It's a tabernacle of terror. Whoa. whoa. The ship makes its first rendezvous with the event horizon. The event horizon is clearly illustrated by a giant billboard that says Event Horizon with big floodlights shining on it. I thought that this was really ridiculous looking. They then rendezvous with the side of the ship and they send out the ship's umbilicus. What's what's an umbilicus? I'm glad you asked, Joel. (laughs) It's one of those stupid generic tubes that come out of every (laughs) single spaceship to dock with another spaceship. Well, I mean, how else are they supposed to dock with the ship? Is there a better way? Probably not, but you don't have to call it an umbilicus. (laughs) 
All right, so they go on the ship and they're walking around. This ship kind of reminded me a little bit of the ship from Lost in Space, which is never a good sign when you're reminded of Matt LeBlanc and that little yellow monkey running around. Yep. Not a good thing. So they're walking around the ship. Right off the bat, the way they designed the ship is kind of strange. There's all these weird runes and inscriptions on the doors and these spikes everywhere. What really bothered me was the door design. Whenever a door opened or closed, it closed with these terrifying sharp spikes that if you were to, I guess, catch your arm on it, it would just tear a hole in your body. Yeah. Or, or and, and the worst thing is if, if you tripped and hit the wall, you're getting impaled. Why would you design a ship like that? Why does this ship have that super long corridor anyway? Like connecting the front of the ship and the back of the ship? There's this wildly long corridor. What was the point of that? I honestly don't understand the purpose of that. I, you could have easily have designed the ship in two pieces and they could have easily have jettisoned off the front as a escape portion of the ship like they wanted to originally without having it having this enormous large center structure that looks super flimsy super weak and it looks like if it took off it would just collapse and the ship would explode that's a really good point it looks like if it went really fast it would just bend in half and snap or something yeah but this ship was never meant to go fast here's the yeah you're right you know you say that this ship doesn't really move it kind of moves space around it why does it even look like a ship at all why don't they just, it just be like, it a, like sphere a sphere or, or a square or something yeah yeah okay so one of the women on the crew she finds the ship's log and really interesting thing about this is that the year is 2045 or 48 or whatever and the ship's log is recorded on CDs. That's kind of interesting. They're still using yeah, CDs. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess we this whole revolution that we're going through right now with solid state memory, I guess that's going away and we're going back to CDs. Well, you know how things go, you know, technology advances really far and then people think it's cute and funny to go back and use old tech. Yeah, like like the people with the iPhones that are carrying around those large old headset head, receivers. Headset receivers. Yeah. Ugh, what a world we live in. You think that's what's happening on the event horizon? Yeah, yeah. They, they thought it was really so cute and funny. Bunch, but there's a bunch of hipsters. Okay, so the uh, gravity drive apparently is being able to is able to activate itself, and what's occurring is it is somehow giving these these people this this rescue crew um, hallucinations about their innermost fears, and it's kind of driving them insane, as I, I would imagine it would do to anybody. They all, I guess, confront each other about it, and Sam Neil is, I guess, hell bent <laughs> to stay on the ship. Yeah, they're all having these wild hallucinations, but for whatever reason, someone's like, no, we can't leave, we can't leave, we can't leave. I don't, I don't understand why they can't leave, though. Why? Thus fulfilling his role as company man guy, right? Yeah, I guess. He, he's not in it for profit, though, I guess. He built the ship, so I guess he wants his creation back. I don't understand how one person could have been commissioned to design such a unbelievable ship. <laughs> <laughs> he built it himself, right? Just him? No cr- other crew? No, 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 no. I mean, like, he designed the whole thing. So he's what? He's a theoretical physicist. He's an architect. architect. He's a space design weld engineer. He understands electronics. That's just not, it's not possible. He did not build this ship. He, okay, he might have designed the engine, or he designed the science that went to the technology that built the engine, but I don't believe that he designed this whole ship. That is ridiculous. So the youngest member of the team, he goes up to the engine of the event horizon and initially the engine of the event horizon was going to be just a black sphere and it would contain a black hole inside of it all the time but Paul W.S. Anderson changed it and he made it into this sphere with these metallic discs all around it and around the sphere are these three rings with lights on it that are constantly rotating. These three rings that are rotating with lights are if you remember what it looks like when somebody is put into one of those simulations that people would have at space camp where you spin around in like a gyroscope type yeah. Yeah, like a little kid in Nickelodeon. 
alien or something. Yeah, yeah. It looks it looks almost identical to that, but with a thick metallic sphere in the, in the center. Apparently, Paul W.S. Anderson was inspired by the Hellraiser cube for the design of this thing. Well, the youngest member of the crew, he goes up to this thing and it starts spinning around and a portal opens up. So what does he do? He walks up to it and he starts poking his finger in. Yeah, he it. starts he starts doodling it with his with his, pink, with, <laughs> yeah. his with his pointer finger. He's like, good, good, good. Yeah, he's pulling he's, it out. He's gonna be he's doing noodling. He grabs his whole hand in there to see if he can grab a fish, but instead the fish grabs him. Yeah, and it pulls him in. You know, yet again another movie that's trying to do the Matrix effect. I get pre-Matrix where they stick their finger in ripples. Right. They stick their, fi- they stick their finger into something and like liquid metal ripples around. It looked atrocious. I thought this particular effect. Whenever stuff like this happens, I always like I want to forgive them because it happened so long, so long ago. ago. And the I, I want to say that the know-how wasn't there, but then I go back to Terminator Two and I'm like, that's not an excuse. Yeah, good point. That's a really good point. At the time, I'm sure it looked awesome, right? As a kid, you look at these effects and you're like, wow, this looks amazing. But it just doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't. It doesn't stand the test of time. Okay, so this kid Justin is catatonic. People are starting to have hallucinations. Something apparently really bad is going on in the ship. And immediately they should try to get off, but they don't. This is when Justin has his moment of piss poor performing. (laughs) He (laughs) essentially wakes up. And he gets into the airlock, and it's almost like he's in some kind of trance. He essentially, he quote-unquote says, He's coming. Who? The dark. <laughs> I don't, what, what does that mean? And it was delivered, the line reading was horrendous. They're like, don't open, don't don't open the, the hatch. And I'm kind of like, you know, you should probably open the hatch because your acting is really bad. You should remove you from this movie. I will say this in his defense. I like the fact that he said, if you knew what I have seen, you wouldn't try to stop me. I like that a lot. Like, he's well aware that he just went to hell or wherever. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to live anymore. That's it's not worth it. See you guys. And he goes and he kills himself. I kind of like that. Yeah, which is... <sighs> even though, even though, wouldn't, by committing suicide, wouldn't he be guaranteeing himself a trip to hell? Like Constantine. I don't I don't think it's that kind of hell, Joel. They barely go into what the hell it is. It's more like a, a nether dimension betwixt light and chaos. <laughs> like, what? No, it's it's a dimension of pure chaos and evil. What is that? What does that mean? I would, I, I would it's assume It's like evil, that's... like an energy source? It's an energon source. Oh, so there's transformers. There's, yeah, there's there's void. there's a lot of Decepticons in there. They said hell would be a poor descriptor for what this place is. What that means, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the hatch opens up. Lawrence Fishburne is coming back. He's trucking from outside where they're trying to repair their ship to get off the event horizon. And right as Justin is having the hatch door open up, Lawrence Fishburne is coming to his rescue and is going to, I guess, propel him back into the ship. And Again, he's practicing for the Matrix when he would jump out that building. <laughs> it's very similar. It is very similar. What's oh, what's so bad about this is, I guess, everything on this kid is exploding. Like, every blood vessel is just rupturing. I don't know. I gotta admit, I kind of like this, he goes out into space and like blood is shooting out of his eyes and he vomits blood out of his mouth. No, it looks it, it looks really cool. Blood vessels on his arms are bursting. Yeah, I and mean, and I mean he's, he's better off dying after that. Oh uh, no, no, I have the exact same thought. It, they get him back inside and they're like, this guy's a mess. They they start working on him. Flash forward, he's in some type of stasis and they're like, he is severely injured, but he'll survive, which is cruel in my opinion. I mean, I, he's bent to hell and he, I, I guess he's. Blind, deaf, 
completely immobile. His and How, just, how's his acting though? Now that he's half dead. Oh, you know what though? When he was in stasis, his acting was great. Yeah, it improved a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, if this thing has all this power, why is it doing it this to these people? Why does it care? That's a really good point. So throughout the course of this movie, for the the remainder of the movie, each of the people would be picked off one by one. They would see these weird hallucinations that would try to kill them. And and you think that they're hallucinations, and then it turns out they're not hallucinations. They are actual manifestations of of what they're what what they fear. So is it an entity? Like what is going on? They never explain. Like is it a creature? What what the hell is it? Is it a demon? Is it is it possessed? And, and then it's able to create matter out of nothing. A lot of times I would be able to go along with the fact that we never know what it is. I'd almost prefer that. But in this case, I think it would help because it just seems so random and arbitrary the things that happen in this movie. This thing doesn't have a motivation, so I don't understand I don't understand it. I don't and I can't connect with it, so I don't care about it. Like the, it raises, And all the characters are cardboard cutouts, so who cares that they die? I didn't. I, I mean, was yawning the whole time. It's a shame too, because I think this could have been a cool movie. It started off okay. They look good. Like the sets look good. The costumes are cool. The and and the idea is really interesting that you're you've created a ship that is able it's the first ship ever to be able to bend space time and it travels through a pocket dimension to do that and it turns out that this pocket dimension is his hell. It turns out that the ship is now in desperate need of repair and the Event Horizon is the only usable ship so they all board the Event Horizon while the rest of them repair their original ship. They also it also turns out that they have 20 hours to do it in or else the air that they're breathing the CO2 levels will become toxic and kill them. I think that that is absurd. This ship looks like it is the size of 10 football fields. There is no way that they only have 20 hours worth of air. That's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it has been gone for seven years, right? Yeah, who's breathing the air? Everyone's dead. And so at this point in the movie, Sam Neill blows up the rescue vessel and traps everybody on board because he's like a lunatic? He's crazy? He's possessed? He's, he's possessed by the by this the, thing. The devil? I, I don't know. By the ship? That demon ship? I, I, yeah, I like the ship was alive or what? It looks like I put a firecracker in one of oh, my toys. Oh, man. As far as the effects in this movie go, you know, okay, it's okay. We can let some of these things slide. We can be like, oh, okay, this is not so bad. But blowing up a miniature. It's, having it, it's been done for six. 60, you know, 70 years. At least since the 70s, they've been doing it right. This is one of the worst effects I've seen in a while, right? It looked like this ship blew up, that they only use like four frames of animation to do it or something. Really strange, because they're spending all this money on CG, and the models look great. They really do. Whoever did them spent a lot of time on them, and they, it shows. And then the scene where they blow up the ship, it's like they realized they had to do it at the very end of the movie post-production, ran out of money completely, and just put a bunch of M80s inside of this miniature. It looked horrible. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, okay, so just to make a long story short, a lot of these characters are being picked off one by one, they're being killed off. Sam Neill is having these constant visions of, I guess it was his wife, so she's naked and she comes up to Sam Neill, grabs him, and then rips his eyeballs out, which we're shown that in the real world, Sam Neill is ripping his own eyes out, I guess? At that point, it's shown that Sam Neill is completely, I think, possessed. I gotta say, for a movie that has all this blood and gore and all this stuff going on, I couldn't believe how bored I was while watching it. Yeah, did you feel the same way? I felt like taking a nap. So did I. I felt really tired. I was like, man, this movie's putting me to sleep. It's like 3 p.m. This movie's knocking me out. So they blow up the ship, and this is something that I thought was bizarre. Really bizarre. Maybe you can explain to me what the hell is going on here during this scene, because the way they describe it, so the event horizon split up into two sections. There's the front of the ship,
ship and the back of the ship. And it's held together by this extremely long walkway. And the walkway is lined with bombs. The reason they did this was so in case there was an emergency, everybody could go to the front of the ship and blow it up. So the part in the back with the engine would just fly off. And then they could use the front as As an escape pod. Yeah, as an escape ship. So they do this. And very clearly throughout the course of this entire movie, the event horizon is it's in a planet's atmosphere. It's not in outer space, right? No, no, it's not. So they blow up the ship, the middle part of the ship, and the last remaining crew members are in the front of the ship. And the way they showed it is that when the ship blew up, it looked like their section just went spiraling out of control. Right. And then immediately after that, a giant black hole opens up on the planet and sucks the other part of the ship in. And we see this very clearly. That this, it, How big was this black hole? It was probably, you know, a third the size of the planet. Yeah, it was enormous. It was absolutely enormous. Like Cybertron could have gone through it. Yeah, Cybertron would have got sucked through this black hole. It was enormous. So I assume that the other half of the ship just got sucked in along with them. And like, I mean, whoa, I mean, what a sad ending. Like, right? like, look, like Uranus or Neptune, they're not small. In comparison, to, I mean, they're they're very large planets. This was a third of that. So it's many, 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 many times the size of Earth. I, I, I don't understand how this other ship didn't get sucked in. And on top of that, I don't understand why it would generate a black hole just outside of this ship. That's, that's kind of weird. Wouldn't the black hole envelop the ship when the event horizon expand outside the ship to envelop it and then go back in because it spent space time? Regardless, what ends up happening is that the camera pans away from the black hole and we see that the remaining members of the crew are still alive. Somehow they made it into space. How the hell did that happen? The best part of this whole movie, though, is that they get rescued at the end because it clips to that right at the very end. This rescue crew is coming in off, I guess, like a space fire truck because they look like they're firefighters. And the movie just cuts. It just ends. So as the movie's coming to a close, our heroes get rescued. They're like in stasis pods and these space firefighters come in and rescue them. And then all of a sudden, oh, shocking plot twist. Sam Neill's there. But it turns out it was all a dream. Cut the end. This all happens in the course of like 30 seconds or something, right? These rapid succession. There's no ending in this movie. No, no I, 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 there's... It just goes, boom, the end. It actually says the end. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's it? That's it? That's it? That's all there is to it? It's mind-bending. It how was bad unbelievable. Was. Yeah, that's Event Horizon. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. It's disheartening to see how quickly this movie degenerates from an intriguing premise to an absurd gorathon. John J. Pucho, Movie Metropolis. Paul W.S. Anderson's outer space horror event Horizon is an example of a potentially great and complex idea given a simplistic and ultimately ridiculous execution. Ryan Cracknell, Movie Views. And finally, it does have a glossy sci-fi wrapper, but the quality of the underlying production is a pure B-movie exercise in terror. Steve Rhodes, Internet Reviews. So, Martin, this movie currently holds a 23 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? Yeah, it is really that bad. 23% is probably accurate. This movie is difficult to watch. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but considering how much I love this genre of movie, like a sci-fi, deep space horror, I love Aliens. I really like Alien Resurrection. It's like, Alien Resurrection is one of my guilty pleasures, but taking all that into account, I still think this movie is almost unwatchable. I'm gonna give it a 2 out of 5. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, and I'd probably steer clear of it. Yeah, okay. 
Okay, so what? 23%? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty accurate. I didn't enjoy this movie at all. So I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. And quite frankly, I don't understand why this has such an extremely powerful cult following out there. I, I don't get it. This movie stunk. The only thing I thought was redeeming about it was the sets, the costumes. Yeah, you know, the, the, the actual some design. Some of the models. The, the models were good. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Like the technical merits of it. That's about it. Like the actual plot and stuff is terrible. It's not interesting at all. I mean, the idea is cool. Very cool idea, but the execution is really is poor and it's just not an enjoyable movie. It was just boring. I was That's one of the things that I'm really surprised with a lot of the movies that we watch on this show. Like, how is it that a movie that's so violent or so bloody or so action-packed or has so many things going on in it, how could it be so boring? The reason it's so boring is because you just don't care about the characters. You don't care about the people that are in it. it just They're irrelevant. It doesn't matter. There's no suspense because there's no conflict. For there to be conflict, I have to know the character. I have to know what they're fighting or why they're even fighting. And if there's no why to their behavior, then make I don't, the people what's make important. Make the people what's important. And but they don't do either, so <laughs> There's, there's nothing there. There's, there's just nothing. Yeah, I'll go with a two out of five just because I liked some of the technical stuff that's in the movie. A very light two out of five. Not recommended. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Robert writes in and says, Hey, I got a question for you. If you could review a movie, good or bad, what would it be? Another thing is, I've listened to all your episodes. I rewatch them constantly and I am listening to episode 44 of Into the Fallen. I believe you guys are the funniest guys ever. Have you ever gotten annoyed at a fan comment, question, or statement? If so, what was it? Another question, have you ever thought thought about doing an uncut episode where it is raw and unedited. Please do your number one fan, Robert. All right, let's break that down. If you can review any movie, good or bad, what would it be? That's a tough question. I, I think I'd like to review a really good movie because <laughs> we don't get to. Uh, I, think, I mean, you have the Truman Show over there on DVD. I'd, I'd actually really like to review that. That'd movie. be fun. That'd be a really fun movie to review. There's a lot of interesting things about that movie. There's a lot of abstract ideas that are really cool. And then there's a lot of like interesting executions. And then the actual physical idea of a person living in a world where everybody is just watching his every move. Like, that's that's a really interesting idea. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about, I think, in that movie. There's a couple of movies that I've been wanting to do that are potential for the show. So I'll leave, like, the bad movies out. But a, a good movie that'd be cool to do? I want to do Watchmen. That's not rotten. And I think that would be a very interesting episode to record. Yeah, I think... I think we, we have a lot to say on that. I think matter. we have a lot to say on that. And, uh, there... I think that might be in the future. Ever been annoyed by a fan comment? I don't know. I'm not gonna badmouth any of the listeners. But I will say this. I get an unusual large amount of requests for us to review movies that are not rotten at all. I mean, there's only one premise to this show, and it's that we review Rotten Tomato movies that are rotten. And then we reevaluate yeah, that yeah, to yeah, determine yeah, if it's yeah, good yeah, or bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I mean, you hear this spiel every episode in the beginning. And it's not like they request a movie that's like 60%, like just barely. Review Gone with the Wind. It's yeah, like- yeah, the people are asking for Academy Award winning movies. One guy asked for a movie that had like a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. I guess it's just like he thinks it's bad, therefore every Everybody must think it's bad. And they just Whereas, like, shoot off the email. And finally, would you ever release an uncut episode? I have an answer for that. No. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. You know, there's a reason why podcasts are edited. Sit down, watch a movie, or go to a movie with your friends, and then go to a diner, and then record what you guys say afterwards about the movie. And then everybody get in the room and hit play and see what you think it sounds like. Yeah, have fun listening to five minutes of pauses. Um, people stuttering and burping yeah. and doing other things. 
things. Yeah, banging I mean, on the table, smacking their lips, taking drinks of water. Drink, I mean, like, no ridiculous one, things. You know, inappropriate things that are just yeah. It's, it's not worth it. It's just that's the kind of thing that people are like, yeah, we really want it, we really want it. And then when you give it to them, they're like, oh, that's terrible, and then they <laughs> hold it against us for doing it. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't want to hear this raw and uncut. I can no. almost guarantee it. <laughs> Jason writes in and says, I am catching up on a few episodes that I missed. Just finished watching Stealth. You guys are talking about what movie remakes are better than the original, and the only one I can agree on was The Hulk. The rest were all better as the original, as I realized I think the difference in opinion comes from the age gap. I just had to write in to say, I love you guys and your podcast, but man, do you make me feel old sometimes with the way our tastes differ? Kind of interesting. I wonder how old he is. I think he's in his like 30s or 40s. Oh, he's got to be 96. 96. Yeah, he's, he's a 150 years old. He's 358 years old. Yeah, he's a million years old. So Ma- older than Earth itself. Mathu- Earth is not is way older than a million years old. Amanda writes in and says, After listening to the Transformers Dark of the Moon episode, I was reminded by my sister's theory of trilogies. She hypothesizes that movie one is always a major success. It must be in order to spawn the sequels. Movie two is a disappointment, but must be made in order to get to the final film. And movie three is amazing and can compete with movie one as your favorite. Good examples of this are Indiana Jones, A Discount the Crystal Skull, Star Wars, although Empire is my favorite, it wasn't as successful as the other two, The Lord of the Rings, Ocean's Eleven movies, Die Hard, again, I don't count the fourth one, and Transformers. What do you think of her theory? It's pretty accurate. I, I don't mean, agree. No, I think the proof is in the pudding. I think the par for the course is that trilogies have diminishing returns. I think successful. Very rarely are number three better than the first one. So you think that all, every, every, everything in her list is inaccurate? The first one's right. The, the, the first one has to be a success to spawn a sequel. The second one usually is a disappointment, but it makes money anyway. And the reason why the third one is made is because the second one made money. That's the only reason. Yeah, but what of her examples that she gave? I don't think Return of the Jedi is better than... Empire Strikes Back. Or the first one, or New Hope. I disagree with you. I don't like that movie. A Lord of the Rings? Whatever. I agree with her on that. Ocean's Eleven? Uh, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Uh, Die Hard 3. Die Hard 3 mm-hmm. is better than 1 and 2. <laughs> we can talk about that one. I don't know. I'm not sold on this uh, theory. So I think back to all the other trilogies. Spider-Man, Spider- X-Men, Back to the Future. You know, you just go on and on. Like, the third one is rarely better than the first one. But what about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time? That was a masterpiece. That was the best of the three. Yeah. <laughs> Zion writes in and says, in response to the guy that asked about Martin's laugh and weak stomach, I've often wondered what Martin is actually doing when Joel and Kevin are dying laughing. Sometimes they will be laughing hysterically for like three billion seconds, but it sounds as if Martin is not participating. So what's happening with him during this moment? I have a couple of theories. Right, Martin, you can shed some light while we were laughing for three billion seconds. How many years is that? Like 95 years or something? Uh, that's, how, that's what it seems like when you guys are laughing <laughs> like complete morons. I'm just sitting here, you know, All right, so going over my notes. Yeah, you're either staring at Joel and Kevin, shaking your head and thinking, oh God, that is so not funny. Two, you're scratching your crotch. Three, pouring more coffee. Four, laughing hysterically also, but with your $12 Behringer mic on mute. <laughs> or five, you're checking Facebook and your smartphone. I think you're doing all the above. Yeah, I'm doing all the above. Especially the scratching your crotch part. The scratching my crotch part is going on during the entire podcast, so. If you listen closely during most of the you episodes, can, you, you, you can, can hear us very clearly. <laughs> you can hear a slight grating noise. One more thing. I believe that Downy is not washing machine detergent. It's either in-wash booster or fabric softener. Oh, I, you know what? It is. It's in-wash booster and fabric softener. He says that he enjoys correcting people, so here's a link for your pleasure. No, he's he's right. It is. I, I, I think it's fabric softener. Still, though, it's a liquid that's getting poured down your ass to clean your ass. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he also says, like, would you please explain the inside joke about Kevin's chiclet teeth? I'm so lost. And this seemed to be 
a real winner on last week's episode? Well, the answer to that question can be found within the next email. I sincerely wish Kevin was here because he would have enjoyed this email immensely. Chris writes in, Dear gents, after being incredibly confused about the German potato soup comment in last week's episode, I just resigned myself to the fact that I may never understand your sick sense of humor. Coincidentally, I have also been working up the will to begin exercising again, and my friend asked me if I would be willing to train with P90X with her, to which I reluctantly agreed. On the first day, when the main guy asked what sort of delicious treat each trainer brought, and the woman said those fatal words, I immediately (laughs) fell to the ground and began (laughs) laughing hysterically. We had to pause the video for about 10 minutes before we restarted. I now look forward to it each day, just so I can hear what the other stupid and ridiculous things those people will say. Love the podcast, keep up the good work. German potato soup. Yes, German potato soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the delayed reaction that he had. Like he heard them say this stupid thing and he just collapsed to his knees <laughs> in pain and agony. Okay, thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Okay, now it's time for the question of the week. And this question comes in from Matthew via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash yeahitsthatbad. And the question is, what is the saddest movie you've ever seen? Head on over to yeahitsthatbad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. It's funny that you say that because I just showed my gal pal a pretty sad movie that you put me on to a few years back. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those really super depressing movies starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Back before, this this is before he got into big time uh, Inception level movies. Oh! I'm like, which one could it be? It's like, ah, okay. Mysterious skin? You got it. And she was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now it's time to announce the movies for the next listener's choice poll. Now, something very interesting happened during this. It was Event Horizon versus Pandorum. I had finished editing the Transformers episode. Event Horizon was in the lead, clear-cut lead. So I just pretty much edited the episode to have it so Event Horizon won. And I didn't even bother to look at the poll. But when it came to releasing the episode, it turns out that Pandorum actually won. Like, it must have won overnight or something. Yeah. So this is the first for the show. So we decided that since, I guess, people equally want to see both of these things, we're going to do Pandorum for the next Listener's Choice poll. So in two weeks, I guess, that'll give you some time <laughs> to recuperate from Event Horizon. <laughs> yeah. Geez. To watch another. Yeah, I really don't want to watch two back-to-back spaceship movies, but hey. The, ne- the next one has Quaid in it, though, so that's something yeah, 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 that to. has something for us to look forward to. Okay, as for next week's movie, <laughs> we decided to tackle yet another Jessica Biel classic. 2010's reboot of the classic television series The A-Team. So to recap, next week's movie will be The A-Team, and the week after that will be Pandorum. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. You can follow us on Twitter via yeah, it's bad. You can follow Martin at yeah, it's Martin. You can follow Kevin at yeah, it's Kev. And you can stream the show from all your mobile devices via Stitcher. Head on over to stitcher.com slash yeah, it's bad. Put in the promo code yeah, it's bad and really help out the show. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time.
Yeah, I'm doing all the above. Especially the scratching your crotch part. The scratching my crotch part is going on during the entire podcast, so... If you listen closely during most of the you episodes, can, you, you, you can, can hear, hear a, very clearly... <laughs> you can hear a slight grating noise. <laughs> oh, yeah, Marty used a sc- cheese grater to scratch his crotch. Yeah, I use 90-grit sandpaper on a wooden <laughs> post to scratch my <laughs> scrotum. You can hear it. <laughs> yeah, it adds a subtle texture and flavor to the episode. <laughs> it definitely has a flavor.